Dice and moving mice. Riveting. We haven't even finished recording it yet. Well, this could be I the know. worst episode that we've ever made. It can't be the worst ever. Episode one still exists. <laughs> I haven't unhosted it. <laughs> it's okay. Those are our warm up. Episode. I do think I do think we could re-record episode one and, and just like be like, hey, this is this is our substitution episode one. Now that yeah. we figured stuff out, but you're welcome to listen to season one. <laughs> Season one was our warm-up season, too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of TV shows are that way, you know? Like, are, are you know, you're like, I don't know if I buy into this. And then season two, you're like, okay. Okay, I could watch this. Yeah. Sometimes you can just start in season two for some shows. Season two is also our warm-up season. <laughs> we're, we're not even warm yet. Guys, once we get to season five, then you're in for an actually good podcast. Maybe so Chris anyways. will be awake for once. <laughs> Let's not get crazy here. So today, uh, we're going to help Chris design a little bit of a one-shot for his, his group. Yeah. We'll talk about more about that after. Chris, what are you playing? What am I playing? Um. So my roommate and I finally finished Divinity Original Sin 1, because we've been wanting to play Divinity 2, but we were like, we got to finish one first. So we got through the end of that. It was a fun game. Started 2. Oh man, the art is so pretty, and the uh, narrative. Have you played any of that? Of what divinity? divinity? No. Either of them? Yeah. No, I had some friends who who they did a, a duo for the first game, yeah, and then they were like, "Hey, do you want to join for the quad?" And this was right after I got married. I was like, "Nah, I I don't got a, a very limited time." So. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it is probably one of. At least that I've played. I'm sure there's others out there, but it is the closest thing to playing D and D in a video game experience that I've ever had. So, good game. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I, I played a game that's pretty similar. I think, maybe not the not the exact same, but, um, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? It's a um, oh man, they made a crappy uh, ability based shooter that was. Sp- Supposed to be the first game to break the uh, cross-platform thing. Shadowrun. Shadowrun. Oh. It's a RPG system that they turned into a video game. Um, and they they did a, a fresh release where they kind of built it so that people could write their own campaigns. About, man, it, it has to be about seven years ago, um, the, the newer Shadowrun came out. But it's good. Mm-hmm. And Baldur's Gate 3 is by the same people. Who did uh, Divinity? Oh, really? Yeah, Larian Studios. Oh, well, there you go. I was going to say, I've seen some gameplay of Act 1, and it is liter- like you literally roll dice. Yeah. So I think that's pretty pog. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try that out myself. Um, but yeah, I've been playing... <laughs> we like, we're like, we're so close to the end of the game. We started playing at 1 and we f- one p.m., and we finished at like 10 on both of our days off. Because we were just like determined to play it. And my roommate normally goes to bed pretty early, so was this was a lot one in the afternoon? Yes, one in the afternoon, to ten at night. It was. I mean, we took breaks for like food and stuff, but yeah, we were determined to beat it. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. A nine hour a nine hour sesh. And then I can't we, remember uh, the last time I played a game that that's, long. That's what we were saying. <laughs> this is like so not like us. Usually like two or three hours max. Um, I could definitely put in I could definitely game for that long. Um myself, but uh, just life. Yeah. Dude, with kids and the wife. If my wife ever takes the kids somewhere like, oh, I'm gonna go visit my family in Florida, you best believe I'm gonna be playing a ton of video games. <laughs> Or just catching up on sleep. Nah, nah, nah. You can <laughs> sleep when they get back. Um, no, well, you can't. But you know, why yeah. waste? Why waste the time where you don't have other responsibilities? You know? Right. Um, but yeah, I've been playing that. I've taken a little bit of a break on Elden Ring. Um, I beat both of the main bosses in the capital, and I'm just like, I was just trying to explore more of it. So I'm in a sewer system right now, but I need to go back up to the surface and. Make sure I get everything. It's just I'm not good with directions as a person. Would you say you're feeling in the gutter? Mm, kind of. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're not good with directions as a person or as a gamer or both. Well, both. Yeah, I don't understand that. I don't. I I guess for me, like I there's been some games where it's been like okay, this is mildly difficult to navigate yeah but when people are like ah, i don't know how to, i'm like bro it's just a video game just remember where you've been i don't yeah i don't i can't relate man that's my problem so anyways also in fairness the city is sprawling it is like in that game yeah it's huge but you have a map yeah but the map doesn't really help because there's a lot of different levels and it just, like, gives you an overview. But there's, like, a lot of pathways that, like, lead to a dead end. And then you have to, like, go somewhere else and, like, climb up on a building. And now you're on a rooftop and you can hop over an edge. So, like, the map is helpful in the overworld where you can be, like, okay, I've been here and there. But can when you you're in a city, points? you can, but it's, yeah, maybe that's worth trying. I mean, if you're always getting lost. Yeah. Or you just need an innate sense of direction like well, me. Well, we can't all be so lucky to be named Nate and have an innate sense of direction. No, you cannot. <laughs> Must um, be tough. Yeah, and then just uh, D&D, but we're going to get more on that later. Well, speaking of getting lost, I've been playing a lot of Valorant. Okay. And one of the people who've been playing with us is is terrible at navigating the map. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to him. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, that's what I've been playing lately is uh, we were like, we kind of, we took a break from Valheim and then we were playing a little bit of, you know, uh, Escape Simulator, but then we, you know, we were down to three one night and we're like, well, if we only have three, let's not play without our fourth person. Yeah. And then, um, and so we decided to go ahead and... um, yeah, to go ahead and just um, try out Valorant because I've been thinking about trying it out. We might offer it when I, I coach esports, so we might offer it for esports. Like, I need to get in, try this game out a little bit. Um, but I want to try it with a couple other people because, you know, sucking together is better than sucking by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a song about that in college. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, had, I had a songwriting final. Nice. Yeah. Um, I thought you were just making a joke. Nope. So, the song anyways, is a joke. we got into it. Um, at the first day, uh, it, it went okay. 
Um, and then we found out that one of our our four people is like kind of cracked at it. So you know, he's been kind of our heavy carry. And then two of us are will have different games where we're good. Mm-hmm. And I always say like, if both of us were good in the same game, we'd <laughs> win every game. Um, and then our last guy, like he's a pretty good sniper, but he's getting used to like moving the mouse and keyboard. And his his map navigation is is not great. Now, so. give me a quick overview of what Valorant is. It's like a character based ability shooter, right? Yeah. So, but it's not like it's not like Overwatch because Overwatch you have like different roles where it's DPS, tank, healer. So it's what that one is is closer to a MOBA or like a an MMO sort of yeah you know dungeoning because you have a clear role in the team. This one, um, the different abilities are all things that kind of originally come from like CSGO. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a CSGO with abilities. Um, and it's pretty – so it is kind of still that MOBA slash shooter fusion. But it's – by and large, it's the exact same thing as CSGO, mm-hmm. which is you know a very pi- popular one and probably the one that most people – before Valorant considered to be like the actual competitive first person shooter. Right. Um, just Call of Duty has its issues. Halo fell off for the pro scene, but CSGO has been around for a while. Yeah. So it's very much, you're not going to get a lot of shots to take people out. You're aiming for, because they're going to be able to shoot you. You're aiming for headshots. You're holding very specific angles and you have a lot of tech that you can use. Now in this game, you've got a, a widespread of tech based off your characters that you choose. Right. Um, but you have like flashes, smokes, walls, um, like explosives, things that'll like go out and search people, blinds, mm-hmm. all sorts of things that, that can help give you an advantage in those duels. Um, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've actually had a lot more availability in the evenings and we've been grinding out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's great. You, you buy guns, you take turns attacking and defending. There's multiple sites, so it's not always like the same spot. Yeah. So kind of reminds me of almost like a single life version of Wolfenstein from back in the day. Where yeah. It's like, E.T. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, okay, well I have things that can help us and we're going to try and do things. Yeah. Um, it's not nearly as objective based, but. You know, there's been lots of rounds where it's like you win on planting or, or not planting the bomb versus just like killing each other. Right. Um, it, I mean, it it's you, it's a best of twenty five, mm-hmm. so it's first to thirteen. So that alone, because the rounds are so quick and everything, you can see some really interesting comebacks. You get a lot of experience and like even when you die you might have like a good round the next time and stuff so sure um yeah i mean been enjoying that a lot that sounds fun anything else Mm, no we're 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 buying a house and moving yeah so um i've been hesitant well no i did finish up below zero on stream Mm -hmm. i started uh call of the sea um Yesterday on stream, nice, and it crashed on oh. me because my graphics card is—I don't know what's going on with it. I—I I have it installed correctly. I don't know if maybe it got some static when I first installed it or something. Mm-hmm. It seems to 
it doesn't even always seem to be heat stuff because it was like crashing on Valorant and its load wasn't even full. So I don't even know what's going on. Mm. The graphics driver's up to date. Anyways, uh, kind of annoying. I'm, I'm hoping um, if you're not caught up on economic news related to graphics cards, um, a lot of the newer graphics cards are coming down in price and dropping down to MSRP or even below MSRP for some cards. So I might switch over to like the 30 series um, just because I've been using an AMD and I'm not really happy with it right? um, because it's been crashing on me. So I'm hoping, um, I want to say it's GeForce. I always mix, I'm I'm terrible with remembering all the graphic card thumbs up. Anyways, I'm hoping if I switch over, it'll be a little bit stronger and I want it stronger so that I can stream. yeah. I, I always wonder if part of it's like me having multiple screens. Um, the one of the interesting things is if you go and watch the the Call of the Sea, the first stream, the first fifty minutes, right before it crashes, you can start to see like these bright lights forming on my screen. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, is that the game having issues? <laughs> like, is it graphical? Yeah. And I looked over at you know the thing that shows me what's going out, and I'm like, it's showing up on stream, so other people can see this crashing as. As it's happening, so yeah, I've also seen some pretty wicked tearing and stuff from it, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, my graphics issues aside. Yeah. Um, Call of the Sea. Yeah, I mean, pretty much Valorant and streaming has been what I've gotten around to. So if, because I'm assuming you kind of know the general premise of that game, Call of mm-hmm. the Sea, or like the theme of it. Yeah, I'm I'm on the second chapter right now, so it's like a very Cthulhu themed. Puzzle yeah, game. so my roommate was playing through it, and he's, like, not familiar with that stuff. And I was watching it, and I was like, oh, this is going to get spooky and tentacly on you. And he's like, nah, I think it's just a puzzle game. And I was like, just wait. Oh, no. <laughs> it, 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 I called it, like, right from it, the start. If you're familiar with, yeah. like, Arkham Files or Cthulhu uh, mythos sort of stuff, like, those are terms for the same universe. It's very telegraphed. It, it's very telegraphed, yeah. I mean, yeah. In, in Chapter 2, I'm navigating around... And it's like the black ooze. Yeah. And it's like the people who got contacted with the black ooze started to um, hallucinate and have things grow on their hands. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. Not looking forward to that. I mean, the opening sequence is pretty spooky as it is. Like right. you're swimming in like this underground thing, but you have like pictures of a house, right? Yeah. And you're having dreams of stuff. So if you're not familiar with Cthulhu, and you want a Cthulhu experience, you just have to play the first 40 minutes. Right. What I will say is it's forcing me to take notes, which is an interesting, you know, not every puzzle game will force you to take notes. Sometimes it's like, okay, I understand what's going on here. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, the connections you make are all in the same space. But now it's like, okay, well, I have to take this connection and take it somewhere else to get the actual next step, right? Sure. Um, so, so I think that's, um, important. Yeah. Um, but I will say you move so slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been like shift is what, like the running speed is what I want the walking speed to be. Yeah. And the ladder climbing is so long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do remember that. Like what I, what I will say about. Subnautica, which I just finished up, which was fun. Um, so you've beaten both of those now. 
both original and below zero. Nice. Below zero was fun. Um, the the ice worms were pretty spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, I guess. Um, although I guess they are on like the cover of the game. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. Sure. Um, but like when you take a ladder, it is like super fast. Yeah. It's like, oh, I have to take this ladder. It's like boop, 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 boop. Or sometimes I think if it, if you're in a – I didn't build a base with ladders this time. When the original one, if it was a base with ladders, you'd click on the ladder and you'd just teleport up. Oh, that's cool. Um, because it's like, nah, don't make me do this. Um, I think the, the, the only annoying movement in all of Subnautica was – or two things was in Below Zero that Snow Fox handled terribly. And then sometimes going through hatches could be kind of slow. Um, like the hatches for the, the above ground sea base that I made yeah. would take forever. But other than that, I Did mean... Did they have like an animation that you would enter whenever you'd go through them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But... Um, well, I hope you keep playing um, Call of the... Call of the Sea? Yeah. It's a fun one. My goal is to hopefully finish it by the end of the summer, so... Um, I think you'll, if you get your situation figured out, I think you'll probably finish it before then. Yeah. I mean, so luckily in the new place, um, I'm going to be, or I'm going to have some space in the basement. It's an unfinished basement, Yep. but I'm, but I also got a green screen. So that's pretty, pretty yeah. pog. Yes. You know? As the children um, say. I picked it up at a garage sale. Someone bought it for. The Zoom Apocalypse. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I got a different one, a different setup. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, you know, maybe I can. Uh, I tried to negotiate her down. So I got it for about half of what it cost new on Amazon, but it looked fine. Um, so that'll at least give me maybe a, a little bit of a better space. And um, one of the reasons I don't always stream when I'm playing video games. Um, and if people have played with me is um our tv is in the same space as our as my computer yep um and so and so um my wife will watch shows and when she watches shows it'll bleed through and as much as i mess with the sound settings and you can noise i can noise gate a lot of background sound but um when it's a full-on tv show it's pretty tough yeah and i like to if my wife does want to hang out in the you know, in our living space. I don't want to, one, like, infringe on that too much. Yeah. And two, I don't want to put her on camera if she's not willing to be on camera, right? Yeah. Of course. So, um, and so it'll be a place away from all the, the, the children as well, so that'll help. Yeah. I always do my full makeup before we do podcast episodes. Yeah. Well, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're not watching uh, the podcast... What are you really doing? Podcast listeners, what are you doing? Why aren't you watching? Yeah. So, um, but seriously, come uh, follow the stream. Um, I've got a super inconsistent schedule, so sorry for that. A lot of it will be during the lunchtime, right around like, or during like nap time, right around like 1030 Mountain Standard Time. Nap time streams. Uh, and, and occasionally in the evenings and when, when things um, free up. Probably will slow down again in the fall, but I'm hoping to pick back up in the spring because I will officially have a master's degree. Yeah, baby. Provided I don't fail any classes or anything. So, yeah. Thanks. 
Well, would you say we get into the the topic of today's episode? The topic of today's. So I feel like I should introduce this one. Um, so Nate, Nate and I um, talk beforehand every episode, sometimes right beforehand about what we want to do. Um, and I was he was talking about puzzle design, and I was saying that I still needed to hash out the final part of a one shot I'm making for my D and D game. Uh, that's going to run tonight. So we thought, mm-hmm. why don't we combine them? Because I've been wanting to make a more puzzle-based adventure. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was wanting to talk about puzzle design. So we'll basically just be workshopping my D&D one-shot for tonight. Yeah. And and I think puzzle design in D&D is really interesting. Because I've tried doing puzzles. And I don't think I've ever really done them very well or successfully. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... But I have ideas of how, if I did try, I, I just, I haven't DM'd in a long time mm-hmm. and or tried to put in a puzzle in a long time. So, like, if I did try and put in some sort of puzzle, what might I do? Yeah. And one of, like, before we settled on doing this combined topic, we were just going to talk about puzzle design in general. So we can still, like, touch on some of, mm-hmm. like, what you think makes a good puzzle and... Maybe adapt yeah. it more into D and D, where you have to give your players a bit more help to like make sure they can solve the puzzle. Yeah. So I mean, also a little bit of background on the campaign. It's set in a desert where the players are trapped, and it's kind of. I mean, I guess every campaign is like story based, but I don't want to like do the main story without having all my players there. So anytime one of them can't make it, I just run a one shot set in the same setting, but like maybe somewhere else with a different group of people. So I'll be creating a party of four fifth-level characters that I'll just make today and then hand out to my characters, and they can pick whoever they want to play, and then they'll do this adventure. This one will be set back around a, a long time, basically. They're, they just explored a ruined city, and I want to like go back in time to when it wasn't ruined, and they'll be mm-hmm. just outside of it on a ship doing like pirate stuff. But then they can like see it in the distance. So I always try to have like some sort of tie-in to the main campaign. But anyways, we can talk about the actual thing now. Yeah, so I mean, when it comes to D&D, there are two there are two types of puzzles in my mind. Mm-hmm. There is the puzzles that are challenges that the players have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um that sometimes they're not even actually intentionally puzzles. But the players turn them into them. This can be as simple as a 20-foot wall. Yeah. Right? Or a 10-foot gap. Or trying to open a, <laughs> a reinforced door. Yeah. I mean, it can be it can be something simple like that. But then the other one is the puzzles that you want to fill to feel like a video game puzzle, right? Where you want them to solve the mysteries of things, right? Right. An environment around and... Yeah. Uh, something like if you've seen the fifth element, the puzzle at the end, you know, I haven't, um, uh, well, okay. So the fifth element, first of all, Real really point. fun sci-fi show. Okay. Um, but like, um, at the very end, mm-hmm. um, the, there's the, the main, one of the main characters, she is the fifth element. Okay. But there's also these four stones that they're setting up in a temple with four elements. And they're like, why isn't it going? Why isn't it going? And then 
accidentally, and I don't quite remember, it is not it is not the fifth periodic table. I was going to ask Chris. if her name was Boron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, please continue. See what I have to work with. See what I can't work in these conditions. Um... <laughs> For those of you who obviously aren't watching, Chris pulled out his phone to look up a periodic table to make that joke. In high school, so, I would have known off the top of my head. Yeah, well, the days you know, we used to be smarter back in high school. Yeah, so that's true. Here we are. Um, anyways, at the very end, they do something, and um, I think on one of the pillars, they spill water on it or yeah. something. And then all of a sudden, like that pillar activates. They realize, oh, there's four pillars that represent four elements, and then like the the girl in the middle is the fifth element. So what I have to do, uh, what they had to do is go and activate each element with its corresponding sure. element, right? Um, water for the water pillar. Water, fire. Um, he just threw some sand on the other one and blue on the air pillar, right? Yeah, and if I recall, blood like for the blood god, the fire pillar was like the real critical one because it's like he was trying to get his lighter to work, right? Yeah, skulls and, for the skull throne. Yeah, skulls. Yeah, indeed. Uh, sheep for the sheep throne. Wolf for the wool lord. <laughs> Classic Catan jokes. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, but like, like that's an example of like, okay, um, what could we do in D and D if we're trying to set up a puzzle? Yeah, and um. Aside from some of the classic video game tropes, because one of the problems with video game tropes is, one, they're tropes. So sometimes, depending on the group you're playing with, if you come in and you're like, oh, hey, we have this lever puzzle, um, you know, but when you pull one down, the other ones flop where they're at. Someone might know, like, the order. And sometimes with those things, you have to keep track of, like, oh, how it moved. Or if you did, like, something like Towers of Hanoi, which is... You've got like four discs and they have to move to a different post. But oh, you can't put sure, the, yeah. the bigger ones on the smaller ones, right? Yeah. Very easy to program um, and a little overdone because a lot of people will have knowledge of that. Yeah. So you have to come up – and this is a place where you could come up with creative puzzles that don't have to be bound by the effects of a video game. Sure. Right? Um, so things that I think play well in D&D in my opinion – uh, riddles are good. Not, not, I, no, I don't mean like Gollum in The Hobbit, right? Okay. Being like, oh, what's in my pocket, you know? Yeah. But I'm saying if you give them some sort of poem or mystery thing, yeah. Um, you can give clues or an ordering or something where, like, and, and this is, it plays out so well in an RPG because you can, like, hand them the note and they're like, oh, this is important. Yeah. Um, so one of the things is like that. Um, two, they have to have like a clear goal. Maybe it's properly completing a ritual. Maybe it's getting through some sort of door that is very clearly not passable. Like it's not yeah. like, oh, here's the metal door. And it's like, well, maybe I can just cheat through it. Like, yeah. like um, and I'm, if not, it's, I'm not as much of a fan of puzzles where it's like distinctly set up to be a puzzle that needs to be solved to get into somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see a lot of times in like exploration or or like archaeologist games like Tomb Raider mm-hmm. or um although I, I am a fan of Tomb Raider's puzzles or like 
Uncharted where they're in this ancient temple and they have to like turn these things to open this thing to like get into this place. Yeah. It feels a bit like contrived to me. Mm. Even though it's fun. I mean, I think it depends on the set on the setting and like what's going on because like I think temples make sense because sometimes they're trying to protect something. Yeah. Or prevent people from getting to something. But my my thought process is always why wouldn't they just block it off with like a wall? Like the puzzle almost assumes or like begs the I I don't know how to say this. It like implies that certain people are meant to be able to get through this and everyone else is not or else it'd just be like a door or yeah. a lock, you know, something like yeah. that. Well, but I think that makes sense in some contexts. Yeah. Right? In some contexts, yeah. And I don't know what your one shot's looking like. But so you can have like ancient prophecy poem sort of thing. Yeah. Um you can have a clear barrier or a clear thing that they're supposed to accomplish because how are they supposed to get through? Yeah, my my main idea is that they're like the one-shot party is like privateers or like pirates basically mm. that were hired to go do something. Um they'll see the ancient city in the distance that they're exploring now is like completely leveled. Yeah. They'll be like, "Oh, hey, that's cool that used to be standing." And then they'll be in this bad storm, get washed up on an island and have to find shelter. And basically what I want is for them to see an obvious really good shelter place and just have it be blocked by like a large stone or something like that and have to move it out of the way. Um, and it'll be a puzzle, but it it will, to me, at least feel more like less video gamey, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a less contrived one. Because I, and there's, I'm thinking, there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't like I, it. Yeah, personally. I'm thinking for because if you are doing contrived ones, one of the important things you can do is um, you want to reward players for what their characters can do and not just what the players can do. Right. Because I think that is a danger of um, of players. It sometimes puzzles can take a player out of the game. Right. Because the player will be like, "Oh, hey." Like, I recognize this from an old video game. Or, oh, hey, I might be playing the dumb barbarian, but the dumb barbarian somehow knows how to, like, solve this complex, I don't know, math thing or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, there there was a moment earlier where I handed, speaking of handing out notes, I, like, wrote out these ancient letters, and then I, like, crumpled them up, tore out strategic pieces of it, burned some of the page, mm -hmm. and then, like, tea-stained it, and, like, set it, so they, just to make it all look old and weathered. And then I handed it to my players <laughs> and the party's archaeologist looked at it and she's like, there's three pages, mind you, of like actual mm -hmm. paper. And she's like, yeah, there's not really much here. And then our party's barbarian was like, hold on, let's look at that again. Because <laughs> like metagaming, he was like, Chris wouldn't have made us all this paper if there wasn't important stuff in it. Like he mm -hmm. wouldn't have gone to the trouble. So it's it, it was kind of a funny moment. Where the, the barbarian who is not supposed to care about this and the archaeologist yeah. who is supposed to care about this. Yeah, yeah. Completely. So I think and they're, one, they're one, both great players. It was just a slightly funny moment to me. <laughs> one of the things there is like, okay, if you do get a clue, right, and the player doesn't understand, can they roll to help them understand? Yeah. Can their character fill in the blank? Yeah. So you do want to reward like like, stuff because you're an archaeologist you might know like oh this is an ancient thingy or whatever mm -hmm. and only give that role to the archaeologist because it wouldn't make sense for the other characters to know that yeah, yeah maybe unless they have like history proficiency 
But if you're looking for things that are very clear sort of stuff, or very clear, these are almost threats. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult because like D&D puzzle design can be just things that are mundane, that yeah. are difficult for people to overcome. Whereas in a video game, if if you set yourself up as a puzzle game, the difficulty is going to come from putting together the pieces, right? right. So puzzle design for D&D and, and, a, and a video game are going to look very different because you're trying to play on the role-playing of the characters that are present, the role-playing of your players yeah. and their experience, and try and make them feel like they can contribute to it. And you're also trying to keep it aloof enough that it's not something that's going to be completely in your face. Oh, this is a puzzle. Yeah, for sure. Or sometimes it's it's the mundane thing, like, oh, there's a boulder in our path. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, as a DM, sometimes my favorite puzzles are like, I'm just going to put a problem in their way. I don't actually have like a predetermined solution in mind, mm-hmm. but if what they do makes sense, I'll let it happen. You know, and sometimes that's fun. Um, and other times there's other stuff. I remember I was DMing a game with you in it one time and some other people, and I did the eight queens problem, which is where you have eight queens basically on a chessboard, um, and you have to arrange them in such a way that none of them are in the path of, of where the others could move. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like flavored it as some ancient temple and whatever. Mm-hmm finding peace but but you like two minutes into it were like oh this is the eight queens problem and then (laughs) you all figured it out which was fun to watch um because it still took some time to like figure out the right configuration Mm -hmm. um yeah it was oh i was also gonna say to me in video games there's like i think um breath of the wild is a great example of a game that does puzzles Mm -hmm. well because the challenge temples um there's like, especially if you watch speedrunners go through them, there's multiple solutions for a lot of things. Or not even speedrunners, just like trick shot people. They'll mm-hmm. like find different ways through a dungeon that seem to have like one, I guess, easier route. And then they can like find other ways to get through. And yeah. I think that's great game design. Um, and then there's something like Tomb Raider, which I think also has great puzzles. And it's kind of more of what I'm going for, for this one shot tonight, where a lot of times there will just be a physical barrier blocking Lara's path and then she'll have to like figure out a way to get past it by like moving something or like setting up a counterweight or just you know like physics based Mm -hmm. puzzles I think Raft does a good job of this too where it's like as you explore you find pieces that are put together to get through specific obstacles Mm -hmm. but there is like this one point where it's like you explore a whole island and you're like, there is no way up there. But then if you take a rock, which is a very common item to have, and like you've always been able to throw rocks, but you never do because it's a terrible weapon. But you throw the rock and hit the lever that releases the bridge, yeah. it like drops down. Uh-huh. Which is like this really cool and like, oh, like that's crazy that like that was right in front of us. The whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um Anyways, but so I think to your to your players, um, if you if all you do I think is put a boulder, I I see a boulder as being too easy, right? Because then they can just climb over it, right? Yeah. Um, 
And maybe maybe sometimes you're like, oh, this is too easy. They won't have a problem with this, and then they make a problem out of it. Yeah, and that that was like that first kind of obstacle we were talking about where you just put a barrier in their path and mm-hmm. then give them a way to get around it. This I want to be more like, this is the only way in. You can't just climb over it like for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You see it's like balancing over here. There's like some things that I don't know. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to puzzle it out. So then also in a one-shot, the kind of design philosophy I usually have is like three to five encounters happen um, throughout the course of it. And an encounter can just be like, it doesn't have to be a combat. It can be a puzzle or a social situation. Mm-hmm. So I tend to like make my one-shots like that. And I'm wondering like what the story beats are of this one-shot. So obviously, I think I'm going to start with a fight on a pirate ship because that's fun and then it'll be a little combat so that'll be one and then they'll wash up on shore there'll probably be an exploration section for two and then i think i want the last bit of it just to be solving this puzzle in various ways i think i think there's a space for their pirates so how much do how much do you give them a chance to have like a skill check thing in the storm because mm-hmm. you say they're washing up on shore, but maybe the amount of resources they get to keep um, is based off of how well they navigate the storm, even though they do end up shipwrecked. Oh, yeah. That'd be a cool idea. And I would end it with when they get to the shelter, there's a social interaction. Mm-hmm. Because that's how you can bring it back into the main story. Right. Is they saw the lost city, but then maybe they get a clue about something that they've been investigating right um um, for a long time so there's they've gotten the players in the main campaign have gotten (laughs) clues about a lighthouse being nearby um but it's leveled at this point so i think i wanted to end it with seeing like explosions in the distance and the lighthouse like fall over so the players can be like oh it got destroyed at some point what if they what if the pirates destroyed the lighthouse? i did think about that as well um it's not quite where i want to go with it but it's a good thought for sure it could be interesting too if you do the one shot and the pirates have the opportunity to destroy the the lighthouse and choose not to that then the lighthouse is standing so like the one shot is like a a past thing that affects the future right anyways yeah i think like i think one of the things i find really interesting is perhaps um, rather than just having a boulder in the path, because for me, a boulder in the path, like other than just, you know, using physics to push it out of the way. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that an adventuring party might have ready. Right. Um, I think like maybe a river, mm-hmm. um, and there could be things on both sides of the river, um, and then provide different, um, different rewards for either searching along the banks of the river or maybe climbing up trees or something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're, you know, the, the residents of the Island actually have a bridge system, but you have to, you have to know where the release is for the bridge system. Sure. And then maybe they find a log that you think could float, but then they're, there's a lot of danger because the river is moving very fast and maybe they're still in the storm. Right. Um, uh, you have to be careful because it's like 
are any of these things solvable by magic, right? Yeah, and that's the nice thing about pre-genning the characters is I can kind of control what tools they have for mm. the puzzle. Um, yeah, so I mean, I would probably offer some some exploration of the banks, exploration of going up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess there will be a fight. I like the idea of a skill challenge, exploration phase, and then, so that's three things. And then perhaps the puzzle being the last like two encounters yeah. or so. Yeah. I mean, I think I like the, the river as a conflict yeah. uh, river as a conflict because you can have, you can imagine a lot of ways to get around the river. Mm-hmm. If I see a boulder that's balanced, I can think of, okay, I need to go get something to like use as a lever. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I think that, that you need to give your players, they'll find a way one of my favorite things to do is like, hey, I want to search if someone's like hidden a boat along this river. And you're like, oh, cool. Well, there's the solution that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um, if you really wanted to do um, this as part of like the um, the puzzle connected to the exploration thing, you could have a um, – I would do like a, a, a node design for it where different nodes point to different parts sure. of like the river. So if they just say, hey, I want to go to the river, um, the different places they go might tell them different things. They might see, oh, there's a, a path that if they explore right, they might find the path of the natives. If they um, search um, like an old vessel, they might have like a journal that tells them, oh, we couldn't cross this river. Um, so-and-so tried to build a boat, but we never quite finished it or something. Right. Um, or so-and-so tried to swim across it and found crocodiles in there or something. Yeah. So there's a reason why, oh, swimming doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I think that's what I would think about is like how can the exploration – how can the different parts of the, the – um, adventure lead into the next part like what advantages will it give them Mm -hmm. and the the opening combat is just gonna be a fun ship combat but like yeah maybe navigating the storm will leave them with more resources and then maybe exploration will give them more information towards this conflict and then crossing the river because they maybe see the lighthouse yeah or something um And then maybe they take shelter in the lighthouse until the lightning strikes. Yeah. And then the, that's how you kill the characters. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't, I, that, I, that's just a lot of my ideas. So Yeah. It's kind of hard to like assemble it all. Which is not a dig. It's just like something I got to. Well, I mean, that, that's, that. yeah, that's at the end of the day, your job and what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Too and and you probably want to write down notes rather than just talk about it the whole time. Well, no, but the the encounters, thinking about it in terms of encounters and having the first three like planned out is makes it easier. So mm-hmm. it's cool. Yeah. And so I mean I think that's for puzzle design for D anD D it needs to be something that is somehow reciprocal. But I think what do you mean by reciprocal? Reciprocal. Uh, like going back to the previous recursive encounters. Yeah. 
if there's a, I think reciprocal means roughly the same thing. Gotcha. Okay. Um, like it, but it like all builds it upon itself. It's like it bounced back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like, yeah, I think I think something about maybe not the combat, but the other parts. Yeah. Can really give the players an opportunity to like if the final conflict is going to be to get to the lighthouse or to get to the shelter across a river or across whatever conflict you want it to be. Um, what advantages have they gained? Right. Based on their the previous encounters. Definitely. You want to reward player choice and yeah. agency. Um, and if they just like try and speed run it, um, they're going to get stuck and maybe they say, Oh man, man, maybe we need to go explore for more things. Right. Yeah. And sometimes what I'll do if I want a puzzle is I'll just look up random puzzles and then find one that I like and adapt it into the situation. Mm -hmm. So that might be something that I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other things. Obviously it's not combat based, but you could even have like, Oh, there's, there's a vine that you think could, swing like if they have good perception um but it's attached and so maybe they would have to shoot an arrow to detach the vine yeah um but then they still have to succeed at swinging across the river and stuff yeah um so i think that like there's there's i if i think environmental puzzles you it's beneficial to have multiple solutions that you come up with Definitely. and the players will also come up with in that right solution. yeah and that's an interesting thing about, like, Tomb Raider, for example, is sometimes a puzzle would just be, like, look around the room long enough until you spot something you can interact with. Mm. And that part of it kind of frustrated me because I got stuck on this one puzzle where it's like, oh, there was just a rope in the distance I had to shoot. And that yeah. was the thing. Some of those are really tough because the ropes, like, a lot of the other ones, it'd be like, oh, here's this big stone you know you need to move. And it would be like bright gold. And you're like, okay, I get that. Yeah, that's the other thing about video game design is you can create a kind of sub-language of like, you'll see it all the time in games where there's a climbable ledge and it'll have either like rope hanging off of it or like orange paint on the side mm -hmm. or something. And every single ledge is like that. So when a player looks at it, they go, oh, that's a climbable ledge. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a term for that. And those are called visual affordances. Huh. So, um, yeah, so so like that is an expected thing in a video game because there you don't want to leave your players in a place that it's like, oh, I can't progress because yeah. I feel like I haven't found the one thing. You need to give them enough that it's like, okay, I give you a visual cue as to things i could progress with right yeah and a lot of times it's just like putting lighting somewhere mm -hmm. which as an aside that's one of the reasons why i love the exploration in the FromSoft games like dark souls 3 or elden mm -hmm. ring is that they don't tend to actually use those affordances mm -hmm. so every time you go somewhere it feels like you shouldn't be going there and then you keep going and you find content and it feels really rewarding in that mm -hmm. sense because it's like oh i didn't think this would actually go anywhere, and it did. Yeah, I I find like I find it interesting that you find that rewarding because I would find that frustrating. Where it's like, okay, but now I feel like I'm my I'm forced to explore every nook and cranny. Versus like I can tell when something is is important, something's not. So yeah, and it's 
how to describe it. Like the options aren't hidden from you and they're not like super small objects that are far away. Yeah. It's just like every path doesn't seem to stand out more than another. And sometimes it's about like, oh, there's a ledge down there. I could jump on that. I don't know if it goes anywhere. And then you keep walking and the ledge turns a corner and you're like, okay, I can keep walking this way. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's something I can jump down onto. And then you like find a ladder and you go through a door and the door was blocked from the other side, but now you can open it. And then through that door was a bonfire that you had gotten to earlier. So now you can like start at the bonfire, walk through the door that you unlocked through your exploration and go somewhere else. Like that's yeah. a lot of how their level design kind of works. Yeah. And are you sure there's no visual affordances or you just don't notice them? I sometimes, I mean, sometimes there are, but there's a lot of pathways in the game that aren't like, Mm. there's this magic castle you go to, um, in the second area of the game and you're in this courtyard and to the right, there's this like stairway that is going along the side out in space or out in the air, but just open space. And there's all these supports that are leading up to it that it like start low. So you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, there's nothing that connects up to that. I can't get to that. And then you like walk around and you see the supports and you're like, well, that fall wouldn't kill me. I could probably jump on that. And you hop on it and it doesn't look like a path. It just looks like an architectural support and you walk up it and then suddenly you're on the path and it's like, oh, that's cool. I, I It's kind of hard to describe. Um, but yeah, there's nothing, but, but they, there's they, nothing that's they clearly designed that object different than what they've designed other stairways that you would even have enough curiosity to explore. Right. Well, the support that lets you go there looks identical to a bunch of other supports. And there's actually a mm-hmm. couple that you can take over and then a few of them are broken. So it's, but there's no light pointing it out. There's no like anything. It's just, you look over the edge and you see it and you're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know. Maybe, I feel maybe, like we could do a whole another episode on just like video game puzzle design and like how visual affordances affect that. Yeah, and because maybe I they're think, just more I, subtle. I think affordances are critical, um, and, and good affordances you don't even notice. Like what you said, where ledges are like white or like yellow and stuff. It, some games those are like really in your face. Like, yeah, okay, well here's the path. Sometimes they're subtle and they look like I thought. Um, especially some of the later Tomb Raider games did a great job of just making it slightly marked that it's like, okay, I kind of, I can see where I need to go, it like catches but the it felt like it didn't feel like, okay, here's this yellow pathway for me. It's like, okay, I see that those are ledges now, but I feel like I can navigate those. Yeah. Actually. Like in the Far Cry games, it's like, why is there rope over every single edge? Like someone is mm. being very lazy with their rope keeping track of. This. Yeah. Yeah. That's like. You're wasting all this rope, man. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lack of affordances. I mean, I guess it can depend on your design and stuff. Can can still can be an issue in a game because you feel lost. Yeah. So, and I think some of it is trained in the player. Like, as an example, in real life, I've started rock climbing. Um, and that when you go outdoor climbing, you start to be able to like see features in the rock that you can grab onto and use. Mm-hmm. They call it reading the rock. And I feel like good video games will teach you to do that with their game. So instead of just having an obvious bright orange, like strip where you can climb a ledge, they could start like showing you things in easier sections where it's like all you can do, like say you're in a corridor 
and all you can do is go forwards and there's a type of like rock you can scramble up in this video game. Mm -hmm. They show it to you in that context. You're like, okay, I can scramble up that. Mm -hmm. And then they start putting you in a more open area where those are scattered about. And then suddenly it's not obvious where you have to go, but you remember from the first part of the game when it was Mm -hmm. teaching you about its more subtle affordances that, okay, I can go on that. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's really how you're supposed to design puzzles and affordances is like you introduce mechanics and techniques early on that then you can build on complexity later on. Yeah. And if and that's where a puzzle gets bad is if the um if the principle that they that is core to that specific solution. Mhm was not well developed in a previous puzzle. Um, even if it's a twist on something, like if it is something where it's like, okay, this is a new concept and you have to use it a lot, yeah. you need to introduce it slowly because um, people won't always pick up on on the the details. Yeah. Right? I mean, like this, this can go to an extreme where um, if you're familiar, there was a game reviewer, I think for IGN, who said Cuphead was a terrible game. Uh-huh. Now, Cuphead is not my cup of tea. Pun intended. Okay. Um, just to clarify. Yeah. But it is not a bad game. It is a good game. Right. It is a profoundly well-designed, beautiful to look at, very interesting and difficult game that rewards better skill. Right. Right. Like, like... I mean, if 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 you're asked, uh, if you ask me, hey, what's the best running gun game out there? Um, you know, which is the genre that Cuphead is in? I would say Cuphead is number one. Right. And then you you look at this video game reviewer and his video. Um, I I think it was something embarrassing, like as big as an IGN person. Yeah. Um, one of the core mechanics is dash, and there's a tutorial that teaches you how to dash. Right. And it literally says on the screen, press blank to dash. Yeah. And he couldn't get past the dash thing. Uh-huh. Um, he, like, got stuck on the tutorial where it was required for you to dash in order to progress, and he couldn't figure out how to dash for, like, an embarrassingly long amount of time. Uh-huh. Now, all of us have had those dumb gamer moments, but not all of us are video game reviewers who have to experience a ton of different video games all the time, right? Yeah. And so, like, uh, people have, like, new new people into a game, they especially need affordances because even skilled video gamers will sometimes forget things or they need reminders that certain things are important. Um, I, like, we played through the Valorant tutorial, and it teaches you very little about the game. It yeah. tells you very little of the important things in the game, like you're more accurate when you're not moving. Right. Um, that doesn't mean you always want to stop moving. Sometimes you want to keep moving. That's not important. But like, like tutorials don't always cover everything. Um, it's a multiplayer game. There's ways to learn to become better at that. But when your game is critical and, and if it's the first time they're teaching you a concept, it's really important for you to build up that concept's understanding. Yeah. And I think that maybe sometimes seasoned gamers are like, okay, I get what double jump is. Like, but some people are still learning that. Yeah. And I think a great example of good puzzle design is the portal games. Mm-hmm. 
when they introduce a new concept, they do a great job of building up that concept. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at Portal 2, they introduce the concept of, like, the goop. Right. That, like, can make new walls, can make, like, speed areas, can make j- bounce areas. And they did a great job with it, building up to that and saying, hey, this is going to be a new thing that you're going to be encountering in this game. Right. They talk about, like, one use of it, and you're like, okay, I understand that. And then they put you in a situation where you have to combine the use of the new thing with the use of an old thing to get through to the next area. Yeah, and they do it where it's like, okay, it's very clear what this thing is doing. Okay, here's, like, an interesting application of it. So then you see something where it's like, oh, that's that application I have. But maybe I don't have the goop on there. So I have to find a way to get the goop there. Yeah. Um, or, oh, hey, I need to get a laser to this thing. Okay. Well, what is – I don't have a direct path to the laser anymore. Yeah. So maybe I have to get creative. I mean it's all crystallized in the statement. Now you're thinking with portals because before yeah. you were introduced to this, you could figure out a puzzle but you weren't sure. And then it introduces you a concept and then really makes you – take grasp of it and actualize it in your mind and say, what are all the things I can do with this concept? And the culmination in Portal is so beautiful and articulate in the endings of the Portal 1 campaign, Portal 2 campaign, the Portal 2 co-op chapters, right? Because at the end of each one, you go into a space that is not a design test. Right. At the end of the first game, you go into like this area where it's like, Oh, this is um, you know, this is me escaping the testing chamber. Right. And when that happens, um, you you start to um, you start to see the things that were in the testing chamber in like the real world. And I put right. real world in quotes. But situations well, that are applicable situations that are applicable but they start to have like this diversity where you feel like you're no longer in the testing chamber but you recognize you feel like you are like this smart person right, right? you you've you're like I have conquered the portal concept because when I go into the conflicts at the end of the game I start to see what I need to do right? yeah but the the realization if you think about it those designers, put those things in there so that it was a puzzle you solved, but you feel very vin- vindicated, validated, yeah. validated is a better word. Um, but you feel very validated as the puzzle solver where you're like, I put that together in this space that is no longer a contrived puzzle room, yeah. but really like the whole game is a contrived puzzle. Well, room. but I think that really works because going back to rock climbing as an example, you'll mm-hmm. do gym climbing where people manufacture holds and bolt them into a wall Mm-hmm. And the the people who set up these routes will like kind of put you in situations where you need to do something specific. Mm-hmm. And then you go outside where it's just rock. No one made it up. And you then touch grass, you know. Yeah. And I uh, go outside ever. And you're like, okay, this thing I learned that I was forced to do in this situation actually applies right here. And I can utilize that technique to like go higher up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely, I think a rewarding system that can be modeled on real life in certain yeah. situations. Well, and 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 in real life people rely on affordances. You you use street signs. Uh we have warning labels. And never forget that every warning label in real life is because you're like, "Oh, well, duh," on some things. Well, someone did that. 
Yeah. Like there's a reason that warning label exists and it's because someone was like, you know what? I should try eating this thing. And it's like, no, batteries aren't for consumption. Right. Like, um, part of that's actually I think more for babies specifically. But Right. But there, there's all sorts of things in real life that we use as affordances and I, I mean I feel like even interior design cares about it, right? Like, oh, totally. Where do you want people to – experience your house and stuff well i mean even those are all still manufactured spaces but you look at like how brightly colored animals or insects tend to be more poisonous it's like (laughs) nature does it well and and like if you ever go on on a hiking path you know people will build little cairns along the path yeah to be like hey there's not really a clear path like you know when it's dirt and there's vegetation around it's very clear where you're supposed to walk Sometimes you have to go over rocks and it's like, okay, well, we built a bunch of rock piles so that you know where to go. Yeah. Because like not everyone can intuit, oh, I just naturally know where I need to end up, right? Right. Um, And so like good progressive complexity to their puzzles and also good affordances are important. Yeah. Um, And so I, I obviously haven't played Elden Ring. But I think that they have good affordances. You just don't realize it. Yeah, and yeah, probably. I think they're very good at making them subtle. Um, because there's there's certainly some games, and I can't necessarily think of one right now, but there's certainly some games where it's like, I feel like there's no affordances here. You know what ha- is a game that has very little affordances in how the core mechanics work? Minecraft. Minecraft, yeah, because like you'll <laughs> you have, have to like look stuff up on the wiki. You'll have like structures and stuff that you're like, oh, that is a structure, but there it's not like, and and like Minecraft isn't designed to be this like guided experience, right? It's open it's world. It's a ran, open How can you world even have random thing, but it does very little to hold your hand and lead you to the next step. Yeah. Valheim's very similar, actually. It when when you get into a new region, you're like. I have no idea what's going on here. Right. And sometimes like there's not bright, shiny things and uh, yeah. you'll be like, okay, like there's one point where you have to go into swamps to go find crypts to progress. Yeah. But finding crypts is vi- like we went through like two swamps and found zero crypts. Like, mm-hmm. and we're like, are we just looking for them wrong? Like, do we have to dig? And then yeah. all of a sudden you get to one and I found one that has like 10 crypts and I'm like, oh, okay. So those ones just didn't happen. Right. Right. And even the affordances on that, like sometimes they have good lighting and stuff, but it, again, in a random generation game, it's hard to design those affordances. Right. Whereas in like Subnautica where it's a tailored experience, they can really carve out Oh, you, there's so many things in Subnautica map, map design that I'm in awe of where I'm like, oh, they were guiding me to this thing. Right. You know, you feel like this explorer. You feel like, oh, this is a point of interest. And then all of a sudden you're like, this is where they wanted me to go. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. They're smarter than me. But That's you know, how I feel, feel all the time in like Elden Ring and uh, Dark Souls 3. And so like it doesn't – it's not always in your face. And explore and like, I mean, I think Legend of Zelda or Breath of the Wild specifically does a great job of the love affordances that show you where to go, but they don't always tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And and like there's a ton with um the little what's the little Koroks. Yeah. When you're going around and collecting them, they'll have an affordance. Oh, there's a Korok here, and then you're like, okay, I know like what this type of Korok, or you'll you'll meet an early one where it's like, oh, I have to throw a rock in their ring, or oh, I have yeah. to like glide through their little course, and then later on, you'll be like, oh, I found this one. Where's his rock at? And it's like you have to explore more. Sure. And so like they do a good job of building up, you know, these little seed guys. Yeah. Um, so Absolutely. those are just more examples of, of where, yeah, kind of had to build puzzle design and, and you realize, oh, maybe I'm doing something. It feels like, oh, maybe I can go here. And then you realize when you get further on, oh, I was supposed to go here. Um, they were guiding me yeah. because you picked up on like this hint of something. I think in my D and D game, I'm going to have some kind of in in-world mechanic that any player can interact with that will do something obviously at the start but won't succeed in getting them through it at first to make them aware of like oh this is a world mechanic i can interact with and then they see it fail but like still do something so they're like okay how can i get that to work now Mm -hmm. and kind of like maybe i can build it up that way uh well i mean okay so let's go back to the river example if you want them to maybe decide to use a rope to swing across the river, yeah. During the ship combat, you could have an enemy use a rope and the rope snap, right, and then fall in the water, which at the time might be a humorous thing, sure. Um, just like for fun, or you could even roll for it. It's like as they're all rolling, you're like, okay, oh, this one snaps and like his his fails and stuff, yeah. um, and then all of a sudden. When they get to the river, they might be looking for that because it's yeah. in the back of their mind. And there's a lot of times where I've used one-shots to introduce players to mechanics that I wanted to start phasing into the main campaign. Mm-hmm. Like traps, exhaustion, survival, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what mechanic you should introduce tonight? What? The terror skill. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just get to the end and then, like, have the biggest god monster in the game show up and destroy them. Yeah. Be like, man, it'd be a real shame if that reawoken. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Well, so, cool. I think that's a lot of progress. Um, a lot of progress. We really moved it along. Oh, I mean, I guess we're setting up your one shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we got further in this game that we call life. Yep. Existential. Yes. Um. Yeah. Well, good luck tonight. I hope it goes well. Yeah. Question to the listeners: What are your favorite puzzles, or what puzzles like stand out to you in your memory? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a forced puzzle, which doesn't—I don't mean that in a bad way—but just like a puzzle that is very clearly set up where you have to figure out a solution to progress. Or just a situation, whether it was in a tabletop game or whatever, where you had to come up with a creative solution for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining, everyone. Um, if you're if you got more interest in puzzles or in natural affordances, you can come watch the stream. Yeah. Um, Call of the Sea is has a lot of examples of that. Yeah, I, I will say their affordances are very direct. Yeah. So far, so far. Um, but their puzzles have been interesting. 
I'll be interested to see if it's it's more complex or not um, as the game progresses, but I, I've got a feeling part of the game is going to just be like the spookiness. I hope it doesn't turn into a complete horror game where I'm like hiding from a monster because like, like I don't know, some games like that are... Uh, crap, I can't remember any of them. Because um, I don't play them. Outlast Alien. is one. Yeah, Alien Isolation. Alien Isolation. Which, if you ever want to see a great speedrun, look up the speedrun of Alien Isolation. Because it's, it's pretty funny. Um, I might have to do that. They named the Alien Steve. Okay, Steve's going to come through here. And do this That's great. Um, anyways, uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Yeah, take care, guys.